Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. And welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, a fodder, and a fine music on this Halloween here, Rhino. <laughs> well, we took uh, our little new puppy, Knight, K N I G H T, little black lab. He's getting big. Gosh, he's already 35 pounds. And they grow fast, don't they? Oh, yeah. I can't, like, pick him up as easily as I did when he was a newbie a couple of months ago. We, uh, we took him to doggy daycare today to enjoy all the other pups at Halloween. And uh, his mom got him a costume. He's a land shark. Got a blue land shark outfit. <laughs> and this morning, he was trying to pull it off by grabbing the tail. <laughs> and he stretched himself a bit and fell on his back trying to do that. So, having a big old time there on Halloween. What? You got any plans? Uh, uh, not particularly. I mean, okay. I have a bowl of candy in case trick-or-treaters <laughs> come. But uh don't think they will. So, that means it's just candy for me. Well... You know, in some venues, some states, some school districts, like no costumes, they cancel it. They can't celebrate it. What is it? Fall holiday or winter solstice? I don't even know. That's Christmas, isn't it? Winter solstice. What's Halloween? Uh, fall s- festival. That's it. Fall festival. I think it was fall something. Once again, liberals hate fun. They hate fun. They just do. Man, oh, man. The um, I gotta tell you, folks, this situation with Hamas and the just the raft of pro-Hamas, anti-Israel protests and demonstrations across this country—it's deeply disturbing. Does it not feel a bit like the 1930s? When you've got Jewish citizens of this country saying that they feel unsafe simply because of their faith, they feel unsafe in certain cities, college campuses, they're just rotted. It's, ter- it's terrible. The, um, which I think it was Columbia, I believe, Columbia University, 
unbelievable the number of professors at Columbia Universities at University that signed off on a letter defending students who supported Hamas military action. I believe that's where the professor uh, teaches that right after the attack happened, described it in a rally on campus as exhilarating. Exhilarating! Killing people is exhilarating. Killing civilians. What is wrong? How did we experience in, in such, I think, a short period of time, relatively speaking, such moral depravity. Over 100 Columbia professors signed a letter defending students who supported Hamas, quote, military action. That's how they described it. It's this, well, you've got to contextualize it, crap. You hearing that? You're contextualizing the beheading of babies? The torture and murder in, in a gruesome way of innocent elderly civilians, the raping of attendees to a music festival, that's military action? What kind of dang coward are you? And you know, Rhino, it's, it should come as no surprise. I read the letter, and then, of course, I scrolled down to the hundred professors who signed it. Now, you got to scratch your head and wonder, what kind of content, what does the pedagogy look like in some of these classes? What is the value to a student when they seek productive employ- employment, when they're studying some of these classes that I'm seeing here? Uh, some of them I get it. Professor of Film and Media Studies, School of the Arts at Columbia? Sure, I think that makes sense, teaching kids that. But you look at some of the other stuff. Professor of Modern Greek Literature? And I'm, I'm not trying to, I guess, downplay any sort of value of modern Greek literature, but what does one do with that on their resume? How about the arts of Islam? How about, um, oh, let me see here. You know you got to have this kind of stuff, if I can find it. It's some of this gender stuff. And anthropology. It's like the whole anthropology department. How many anthropology professors do you need? It's uh, shocking to me, honestly. Again, some of the stuff I totally get, but it's just professor of anthropology, professor of anthropology. It's like just tons of them all over the place. Graduate School of Architecture, of course. Planning and preservation makes total sense. Oh, here you go, Rhino. Associate Professor of Gender Studies and History. What is gender studies? you have any idea? How do you spend a whole semester studying gender? How hard could that be? Here's another Well, one. you've got to set aside at least 15 minutes of each class time for listening sessions. <laughs> okay. And time for the crying corner. 
<laughs> so they could share their lived experience. Right. <laughs> Here's another one. Uh, uh, Rebecca Jordan Young signed off the letter. Uh, and her title is Ann Whitney Olin, Professor of Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at the Barnard College. What is that? <laughs> That's the lineage of everybody else that graduated with that useless degree. <laughs> I gotcha. I, again, Professor of Anthropology, Professor of Anthropology. How many can there possibly be? Now, again, reminder, there are 100 Signatories on this letter, 100. Professor of African American in Africa diaspora? What is that, studies? D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A. Diaspora. Oh, pardon me. What's that? That is the scattering of a grouping of people, whether it be ethnic, religious, racial. For example, the Israel diaspora. Okay. Before the creation of Israel in 1948. The Israelis had been forced from their homeland into the rest of the world. Okay. What do you do with that? Who hires you based on having studied that? It's a very niche portion of the study of history. Because not only are you studying the history of a specific people, you're studying the history of a specific people when they were forced out of their homeland. Oh. That, that does seem pretty niche. Okay. So here's another one. Co-director of Center for the History and Ethics of Public Health. I, I, I may be over-reading this and overshooting this, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that a central theme in every one of these professors' instruction is DEI crap. What do you bet? Every one of them, guarantee you. And that's where all this is coming from. There's no doubt in my mind. Every bit of this, this anti-Israel protesting and this contextualizing and this call for decolonization, it's all stemming from that. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, here's another one. The Department of African Americans, uh, yeah, we got that in the, uh, no, this is in architecture. So they're studying Department of African-American and African Diaspora Studies in architecture? What am I missing there? I don't know. I, I know Columbia is private school, right? Pretty sure it's private school. So they can do whatever the hell they want, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I'm sure they do receive fair amount of public money through various grants and so forth. And that it just bothers me that when I look through this list, I'm having a hard time finding anything that says, yeah, there's a demand for that in the workforce. And these people are investing a ton of money. On the program today, Tony Jeff, President and CEO of Innovate Mississippi at 1035 at 1105. It's Senator Scott Delano will get his take on the upcoming election, which is one week away. We're in the Element Well studio on Halloween. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
We are back in the Element Well studio, Ghostbusters. It is Halloween, a little Halloween music there, I guess you could say that. Besides the really cheesy 50s and 60s Halloween music, which I'll sprinkle some of that in because it's quintessential Halloween music, there's not a whole lot to choose from for Halloween tunes. No, there's not. Besides like horror movie music. Monster Mash. Oh, yeah. That's kind of a classic. Always hear it on that, right? The one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater? Uh, yeah. We could play the theme song from, like, the Adams Family or something like that. Harkens back to the old TV theme show Thursday, right? On the ceasefire text line, uh, what we got here? With all due respect, I'm not a liberal, but I don't celebrate Halloween due to many reasons, but you don't need to be so dogmatic about people who don't celebrate it. I love your show, but ease up on things you don't completely understand, Tommy from Lake. Yeah, Tommy, you didn't really listen carefully to what I said. I don't. If you don't celebrate Halloween, I don't care what the reason is. You're free to do so, and so is everybody else. I got no problem with that whatsoever. Free country, as far as I'm concerned. Some people participate. Some people don't. That's their prerogative. That's their right. What I have a problem with, which I said yesterday, I've said it before, I'll say it again today, is this sort of widespread action of canceling Halloween celebrations or activities in schools. And the reason is because it is considered exclusive, meaning schools fear that some people that don't support it uh, may feel excluded. So once again, we're trying to thread this needle so that everything, every action, every event, every word, Every book, every ad, every statue, I mean, just everything. Everything in society, every corner, every aspect, somehow has got to thread some needle so that 100% of the people feel included. I don't think that's possible. I really don't. So my concern and my grievance and criticism of this is by canceling and not allowing such activities in school in an effort to be inclusive, in fact, what you're doing is excluding those who would like to participate. It's impossible, Rhino, in my view, to thread that inclusive needle without excluding some people. Well, it's especially a difficult pill to swallow when the people that propose these changes or this way of thinking don't seem to have any self-awareness whatsoever. Like, I saw one school that had a sign put up that said, no Halloween masks allowed because it could be a distraction for kids. When didn't we just spend the last three years with masks on kids at schools? I saw the same thing. Yeah. Unlike kindergartners, requiring them to wear masks all day. Unbelievable. Such a double standard. But those masks weren't distracting at all. 
There's so many examples of these hypocritical double standards in society. Guarantee you that if these protests that are pure anti-Israel that we're seeing across the country, it's really anti-Jew, let's be honest. If those were anti-people of color, what would the response from the White House and the Democrat Party be? Because Corrine Jean-Pierre yesterday, when asked if she thought, asked by a reporter, if she thought these people engaging in these anti-Israel, anti-Jew protests are, quote, extremists, all she really said was, well, we condemn all forms of hate and bigotry. She wouldn't answer the question. What about Jewish lives matter? What about that? They do. Well, that's going to take somebody off. I don't care. It's true. Because all lives matter. Right. And anytime you said that in response to someone shoving the Black Lives Matter in your face, man, you'd get strung up. You were castigated, excoriated. You're just not sensitive. And we're no, supposed I'm just to... not overly sensitive to the point where I let my brain ooze out my nose. So I just want to reiterate, I don't have any problem with people choosing not to engage in any of these activities. The problem I have is when these so-called pompous, self-righteous, virtuous people go out in the name of equity and inclusivity, rob everybody else of some activity. Deny their right. And that's where I draw the line. You don't have the right to be included when your inclusion is excluding or denying the right to someone else. How does that achieve anything? I say it's just the opposite. It, it hinders the effort. And you're not entitled to squat. You're just not. Except those very basic rights which were conferred to us by our, our Creator. That's it. Government doesn't grant them. Its job is to get the hell out of the way and make sure they're available to you. So, and this is just so overblown. We didn't have any kind of problems in the days where it was widespread to celebrate Halloween. And let's be honest, the same is true for Christmas. We can't do that. I mean, there's, there's just, but yeah, there's no war on Christianity, right? Well, now I guess there's a war on Judaism, which harkens back to the 30s. Because it's, you saw what happened in Russia in the airport over there. Unbelievable. It's, it's across the globe we're seeing this kind of sentiment. And it's deeply Which Russia disturbing. put their foot down on that. They did. It's like 500-plus arrests, and everybody getting arrested is facing 5 to 15 in Russian prison. Yeah. And sometimes you just disappear in Russian prisons. But that's about par for the course for the Dagestan region of Russia. That's they true. are off the deep end. I agree. So in this letter, by the way, I'll read this paragraph from this Columbia faculty letter. As scholars who were committed to robust inquiry about the most challenging matters of our time, we feel compelled to respond to those who label our students anti-Semitic if they express empathy for the lives and dignity of Palestinians. No, that's not what they're doing. 
and or if they signed on to a student written statement that situated the military action begun on October 7th within the larger context, there you go, of the occupation of Palestine by Israel. So there's no degree amount of personal or political grievance which is what this is, that justifies beheading of children. None. That is not the way to resolve any sort of issue you have there. That's what's missing here. This isn't about contextualizing it. How do you contextualize that? I think back on that video you showed me of the media being shown actual photographic content, video content, that was captured by the his, terrorists. Yeah, exactly. And fell into IDF hands. And they said, you don't believe it? Take a look. This, this was shot by the terrorists. And the looks on their faces, just in shock when you see the brutality. Because they didn't want to believe it. They really didn't. They, they absolutely didn't want to believe it. You can't contextualize that. You people at Columbia here, you students, you misguided students, you go tell those people, watch that video and contextualize it for us. That's not possible. Oh, they'll try. Well, they're immoral. And then they'll cry about getting canceled because they can't get a good-paying job after they've spent all this money or went into debt for these useless degrees. Unbelievable. Because there is a growing sentiment among employers, especially in the bigger industries, to not hire these people because they're going to be bad for business. I, I'm ple- You're right about that, and I'm pleased to see there are a number of CEOs across this country who are rising to the occasion, and they are condemning these brutal attacks by we, Hamas on Israel. We, we tried to warn the left that cancel culture was a bad idea, but now it's coming for them, That's so I'm just going to sit back and watch it happen. Good point. We're coming right back with Tony Jeff, President and CEO of Innovate Mississippi. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. We are back with you live in the Element Well studio. 
We welcome to the program now Tony Jeff, President and CEO of Innovate Mississippi. Tony, welcome to Middays. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, so you have served in this role at Innovate Mississippi uh, for some time. How, how long? Uh, now, gosh, 12 years. Okay. Well, uh, tell the audience, uh, what is the mission of Innovate Mississippi? What do you guys do? Well, we work with early-stage innovation and technology companies, try to make them investor-ready and get them funded to grow here in Mississippi. Uh, we like to say now uh, uh, we're kind of like the Mississippi Shark Tank for technology deals. It used to be hard to explain what we did, but it's just easiest to give that little shortcut. Yeah. So uh, the big Innovate uh, Mississippi Accelerate Conference on Technology Innovation is scheduled uh, for November 8th and 9th at the Westin. How many years have we been doing this? This is actually the 24th year. So we started with the conference. It was the Governor's Conference on Technology in 1999. So. Yeah. Oh. So it's uh, it's at the Westin, downtown it Jackson, is, yes. right? And, and it's really combining two events, though, because the, on Wednesday, during the day, we're having a pitch day for a uh, accelerator we've been running. It's actually going to be next door at the Art Museum, and then walking over for the reception to kick off the conference that evening of Wednesday the 8th. So really, that pitch day will look a lot like Shark Tank. It's going to be a room of you know, 80, 100 people hearing pitches these companies have been preparing over the last several weeks and months to be pitching to investors that day. What's the agenda look like? Well, that, uh, the agenda of that afternoon is really just pitches. So we're okay. going to have nine companies with some networking breaks in between. They're each going to be doing 10-minute pitches with seven-minute Q&A, talking about how they can be the next biggest thing. And uh, and then it's going to lead into the reception. So that afternoon is really just, the, just pitches. In the past, when uh, prospective companies have come and, and uh, pitched their idea uh, to investors and, and other sources of funding, what has resulted? Have they secured some funds through that? Yes, absolutely. And that's been part of the fun of our jobs is we hear a lot of crazy ideas every week when people coming in. But if you're around long enough and can help those folks make those connections, they grow up to be real companies. So we've seen companies like Bomgar and SmartSync and, and the older pieces. Even recent companies, Adranos was another company that we relo- located in Mississippi because of Cine Space Center. They were a solid rocket fuel company and then just got acquired here within the last year, uh, really giving a nice exit for those investors and a big boost in funding for that company to grow even more in Mississippi. And these are generally companies that are sort of in their early stages and don't need just huge amounts of capital and and really aren't probably suited to go to the the institutionalized capital markets, private equity firms and so forth. They're a little too small at this point, but they can secure capital here in Mississippi in smaller amounts, get their feet on the ground, and then get to that level, and then go pitch the bigger guys. Absolutely. And at this angel investor stage, this is really the stage where the capital's not as mobile. People want to invest where they can kick the tires, invest locally. And so you're seeing that first outside capital is really our niche. Once companies have acquired their first outside capital, they then can grow and have a real board of directors and then can be uh, really attract capital from all over. And we do see people from all over the country and venture capital looking for deals. And they, they really are willing to invest anywhere in the right deal once they're at that stage. But when they're at the angel stage, they really need to be local. Yeah. 
And and there are plenty of uh, folks in Mississippi who were willing to make those investments to as, to serve as angel investors. Well, yes. As a matter of fact, the conference will really bring together a lot of those folks, even prospective investors. We see, um, especially this time of year around the conference, a lot of folks who've sort of been thinking of the idea of being an investor. They can come poke around, see if these are companies they might be interested in. We have a couple of different ways we can engage them, either just in a network or we have a new fund we're doing, the Oxford North Delta Fund, currently open. Where we're going to we in, in the funds combine experienced investors with less experienced investors to really let them get in on deals without having to be the expert. Yeah, and in addition to capital, often at the startup phase, uh, many of these entrepreneurs they they need just business guidance, help with their business plan, help make some of the critical decisions, and the organization can assist with that as well. Well, and we we call ourselves so it's kind of a coaching connect model. So we're we're generally coaching them on the things they need to do, but in connecting them to prototype shops and accountants and attorneys and all those other service providers they need. We usually will assign the company a mentor as well uh, to help them when we're not meeting with them. And to kind of put them on the right path to be able to develop this. Uh, oftentimes that path needs money, so that's where the capital comes in. We have a little bit of proof of concept money we can help them with, but mostly we're making those connections to existing private investors. Yeah, and then the other just important value and benefit of the event itself is just networking with others in the same boat. Absolutely. We really try to make it where networking is a prime element of it, where they can meet for transactions, not just to know each other. So we're typically seeing a lot of folks there that we're working the crowd, working as matchmaker to make sure they do that. We have these monthly Connect events where we do a little bit of that. But at the conference, you're talking about 300 to 400 people that we're matchmaking to hopefully have real transactions to move forward. Well, the exhibitions and uh, the attendance uh, were fantastic last year. Are you looking for the same this year? We are. I th- I'm really, really excited about it. We, uh, matter of fact, it's not too late. We had a sponsor come in yesterday. I think we're probably going to print on the program on Thursday. So it's <laughs> getting a little close, but we can still get a sponsor. And certainly attendees can still register to be there. We're expecting a big crowd. And it's going to be, again, kicking off Wednesday evening, but mostly Thursday during the day. Uh, next week. And you've got an impressive slate of speakers and panel discussions lined up as well. Tell us about that. Well, so we try to pull people, some from outside our ecosystem, like our keynote speaker is a Mississippian, but who's been all over the country and now in Colorado working on this innovation ecosystem work, and together with a lot of folks who have specific expertise. So folks can come in and hear big picture AI discussions and then very specific how to do market segmentation and prioritization, depending on what their interest is. They can really see all of that. The um, the outcome of events like this uh, can really benefit the state's economy, and, and the state needs to participate in the knowledge economy, in the technology economy, in the innovation economy. And that really is the goal, is it not? It, it is. And we're, we're a connect-the-dots type of organization. We do not have any incentives or state incentives to put in these programs or these companies. So generally what we're doing is we're trying to connect them to local people who will invest or work alongside these startups. And there's never any announcement when these companies can't find the resources they need, but they would leave if they can't find them here. So trying to connect them to the people that can help them here, keep them local, and let them grow it up in their hometown or instead of having to go elsewhere to do that. You know, we've got a, a, a fairly strong complement of very successful technology businesses located in the state. They just sort of fly under the radar. You know, they just do their deal. 
Uh, they're successful organizations. They hire people. Uh, they make money. They service their customers. You just don't hear a lot about it. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing to me. We used to do what we called a discovery series, where we would go out and do luncheons. And uh, many of those cases, people were discovering what was almost in their hometown or nearby. Uh, big companies, uh, FNC and, and Next Gear Solutions in Oxford, both yeah. sold for half a billion dollars, and yep. no one heard of them when they had 300 employees, and uh, don't even know those stories in most cases. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And um, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say I was one of the the early adopters of the Innovate uh, Mississippi uh, mission when I was in business. I, I remember being part of that early on to get all that going and, and welcomed it because we so desperately need to expand that part, as I said, of our economy. Now, something else that folks may not know a lot about that uh, I'd ask you to talk about is the coding academies. Well, yeah. So we uh, we really try to identify gaps in the marketplace, and coding was a gap. Well, our companies were having to go overseas or elsewhere to get coding. So several years ago, some of our board members uh, put together um, the Mississippi Coding Academies. We're lucky to have the Basecamp Coding Academy out of Water Valley as a model, and they really helped uh, to grow that. It's now a program that's in Jackson, Biloxi, and Columbus, and is about to open a new uh, one in Clarksdale. Yeah, and something else that uh, the organization hosts uh, are the monthly Connect events. Talk about that. I've enjoyed going to those. Well, yes, and we're really trying to replicate that. We have seven regional partners around the state, and we're trying to get that replicated in all areas of the state. Uh, but we kind of like each partner to experiment with what works in each area, so they're all trying that in slightly different ways. But in Jackson, we've been doing the Connect events. It's really a way to just uh, network. It's no agenda. Just come and meet the people. We're working the crowd, making sure they they meet the investor, service provider, founder, whatever they need to connect uh, in that event. And is the event open to anyone? It is. Yes, absolutely. How do they find so out about the it? The Connect event is each uh, – we're not doing it in uh, November because yeah. of our conference, December, yeah. but otherwise it's the first Thursday, and it's held at Fertile Ground, uh, 430 to 630. And then the conference does have a registration fee, but it's it's, uh, it's still a lot of content and things to go with that. We'd love to have them go to uh, the conference website, and, and they can get through that through our website at innovate.ms, or it's accelerate.innovate.ms. Fertile Ground, a, uh, a very unique – uh, brewery, uh, not far from the Baptist Hospital there, and they exactly. got some pretty good beer down there, too. <laughs> yes, yeah, cool little area right behind the <laughs> It hospital. really is neat. Uh, Tony, well, we appreciate you coming in and talking to us about the Accelerate Conference coming up uh, next week. I know it's going to be an incredibly successful event, as it always is, and we encourage people to go check out the Innovate Mississippi website, learn more about it, register, and come see us. Appreciate right, th- it. Thank you for having me. Yep, we're coming right back, folks. In the Element Well studio, don't forget, Senator Scott Delano joins us at 11.05. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi.
<laughs> the monsters! Well, you have to admit, that was a pretty good show. Not in the Adams Family. Same sort of era, right? Of the oh, 60s, yeah. aired three, four years, I think. Good stuff. Well, um, so, I just... Uh, was it the Munster set that was bright Technicolor, but they filmed in black and white? Oh, I don't know. I want to say it was the, it's either the Adams Family or the Munsters, and I'm pretty sure it was the Munsters, where if you see full-color photographs of the set, it is gaudy, like pink wallpaper, bright yellows. It is wild colors. <laughs> but you didn't see it because it was all filmed in black and white. Yeah. Well, and uh, I think that was for effect, right, given oh, it yeah. was kind of dank, the subject matter somewhat. Uh, what a cool show that was. So we were talking earlier about the Halloween and the cancellation thereof on the basis of we might exclude someone. It's okay. It's okay to exclude those who want to participate by including those who don't. So we just don't do anything. Well, and some of that is there's objections to various costumes. You've seen that. And people can... My culture is not a costume. Oh, my gosh. They can connect and just dream up all sorts of just stretches, if you will. How about this? Yeah, don't you dare wear a poncho and a sombrero and a big bushy mustache. (laughs) Even though Mexican people appreciate the acceptance of their culture, somebody, usually with brightly colored hair power glasses, (laughs) is going to get offended. (laughs) It's so true. Uh, Cultural appropriation, I believe, is the term that is used to describe that scenario. Well... Here's one for you. George Washington University freshman Nyla Moxley objects to clown costumes. One portraying a clown on Halloween because they have, quote, distinctly racist origins. Wow. Her brain's twisted into pretzels. <laughs> as, as 150 years ago, a pair of actors created, quote, a character called the Tramp Clown, which was intended to grossly depict black people who had been displaced after emancipation and the end of the Civil War. Huh? Wow. So because a very specific instance of... Two people being racist 150 years ago. The entire concept of clowns is problematic. Moxley goes on to say, While clowns and clown costumes have evolved over time, you should question the origins of the curly wig and exaggerated features. Moxley also warns about dressing up as a cop. Quote, be sensitive to the system you're representing and how you act. If you're inclined to say, not all cops, I'd ask why you feel the need to dress up as someone from a group known for abusing their power. Oh, my gosh. I guess she's never studied (laughs) medieval history, the kings and queens of the era little thing called the court jester. <laughs> That's true. 
<laughs> oh, gosh. They hate fun. They really do. They hate fun. And they misrepresent history. A lot. Through lack of understanding and willful ignorance. Well, we're seeing it in these uh, protests across camps. There were... Is there a code pink activist group? I believe so. Apparently, they were... Um, Present. Aren't they the people Madonna said she wanted to blow up the White House with? <laughs> I think that's right. Right after Trump was elected. I have often thought about blowing up the White House. Am I, is somebody going to get mad because I mocked her there? Probably. Uh, I think that is sort of what she said, and pretty close to how she said it. I can't do her voice exactly, of course. Well, the Code Pink activists decided to bust up into the Capitol today. It's an insurrection! (laughs) They were in the gallery while I think it was uh, Secretary Blinken was addressing a Senate committee that was led by Senator Patty Murray, the great state of Washington. You know, that lady who never smiles. (laughs) You should have heard them disrupting the proceedings. Calling for a ceasefire. I mean, with this gnashing of teeth and literally wailing of crocodile tears. Ceasefire! They don't think Israel has the right to defend themselves or retaliate, or more importantly, snuff out these terrorists, these murderers. We're stepping aside for a break with Fox News and Super Talk News. Senator Scott Delano joins us after that. Stay with us in the Element Wealth Studio. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio. We welcome to the program Senator Scott Delano. He represents Senate District 50, which incorporates Harrison County. Senator, good to see you, sir. Good to see you, too. How are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, all right, so we got elections on tap just a week away And uh, the top of the ticket, in particular, that race for the governor's mansion, that is uh, that features incumbent governor Republican Tate Reeves, and of course his Democratic challenger Brandon Presley, has really been heating up of late. What do you think at this point? What are you hearing? Well, you know, I know that we're all in a bubble, and we we pay attention to this stuff a lot. Um, uh, especially the press that comes out uh, on our nation or on our statewide uh, news sources. Uh, You know, when I talk to people here on the coast, I think there are people that are still extremely um, glad that Tate Reeves has been our leader for our state for the last four years. They're still invigorated uh, to go out and vote because we do have some other races that are on the ballot. Uh, But 
they know how well Tate Reeves has has been for the Gulf Coast over the past, well, frankly, in the last 10 years. He's been very, very strong for the coast, and we know that that he has been a friend of the coast. We, we see that. He's been a friend for the state of Mississippi, and I think that's the most important thing. We have a momentum on the coast. We have a momentum on our state, and it's just mind-boggling to me that we're really even – that it's really even this close after all the success and all of the the, the wins that we can claim uh, throughout our our government our state government's leadership. And I think the governor governor has done uh, really a, a good job every time I've been able to see him speak, which has been several times the last uh, few months. He uh, he points to those successes and he 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 shares details. It's not just high level sort of talking point rhetoric, but he gets into the weeds about accomplishments in education, in economic investment, in historic uh, tax reform, teacher pay raises, uh, some of the social issues such as the prohibition of gender change surgery on minors, a bill he signed off on. So lots of accomplishments that I agree Mississippians uh, should be pleased with. The, uh, the challenger in this case, Democratic uh, Public Service Commissioner Brandon Presley, he seems to be trying desperately to link the governor to the whole situation there at TANF without really uh, any empirical evidence to that effect, but he's dwelled on that. Of course, he also uh, highlights uh, the uh, the state's unwillingness or inability to get Medicaid expansion passed, and, and the governor's indicated he opposes that. Of course, that's something you, you know a lot about that hasn't passed uh, the state legislature either. So we, we hadn't sent a bill to the governor's desk at this point. They're focused on that. Today, uh, a press release from the state Democratic Party is highlighting the fact that Mississippi has not increased the minimum wage. Now they're on to that kick. So do you think these are, are I guess, sellable ideas that may, at the end of the day, uh, propel Presley into the governor's mansion? You know, I think that there are some uh, voters that that watch the dysfunction in Washington and listen to all of the, uh, the the problems that are in D.C. and try to link that to Mississippi. And as you know, that couldn't be f- further from the truth. The way yeah. that our governments are are worked and how uh, we're structured so differently than our federal government. Uh, Mississippians should not just be pleased with the progress that we've made under uh, Governor Reeves, we should be excited. We should be screaming from the mountaintops. So you can look at all the other states and across the country that are that are struggling with uh, huge deficits. And we don't we, we've had a very strong fiscal policy uh, that, that was led by the lieutenant, the end Lieutenant Governor Reeves uh, that started it when uh, back in 2011. Uh, I, I'll tell you, we have a great success story. And, you know, what bothers me the most, Gerard, is that, you know, we've had this discussion in the legislature over the past couple of years about the ballot initiative and how important that process is. And one of the things, and I've been one of the one of the senators that have been saying, we've got to get this resolved and we need to put that, that uh, option back into the hands of the, in the voters of Mississippi. But I'll to be honest with you, I'll be the first one to say that I'm watching what's happening here, and I cannot believe that the race for the governor's office has tightened up as much as it has. And you look at why and how that 
what, you know, where that traction is coming from. And it's those out of state dollars. It's the, it's the money that's coming in from California, from New York, from all of these liberal states that are wanting to pluck off Mississippi's, um, Mississippi's governor's race. That's the, that's huge. That's the story that I'm taking away from this. I'm really watching how this money is influencing voter sentiment. And this is exactly what we've, what some people have been saying, uh, is is the reason why we should have a very high bar for um, that ballot initiative process. But it's just amazing to me how many people are influenced by uh, by just stuff that is nothing more than lip service. Uh, you know, I follow a bunch of things on or a bunch of, of different groups on social media, and one is uh, Friends of Purs, and I just cannot. I, I just it just nauseates me to to read some of the stuff that's coming out of the other camp. Uh, when Tate Reeves has a voting record, or not a voting record, but a policy record uh, of pushing for things that have helped PERS, that have protected PERS, and for anyone else to try to come in and, and suggest otherwise is just nothing more uh, than tr- trying to flip a vote or trying to say whatever they can to get into office. But uh, we know that there are, we, we still have problems throughout our state and throughout state government, but we've got such a great momentum moving forward right now. I just can't see the voters looking the other way and, 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 and going with the other option in this case. Yeah, that's well put, and, and thank you for also pointing out. I certainly didn't mean to uh, omit that in, in my highlighting of uh, the successes experienced under the Reeves administration, but uh, the fiscal condition, the financial condition of the state, is is the best it's ever been, honestly. And uh, the, the the good folks in the legislature, along with Lieutenant Governor and Governor Tate Reeves, have made sure that we didn't just squander uh, those surpluses that uh, have been generated the last few years. And many that's exactly states- right. And as being a member of the Appropriations Committee, I know how diligently uh, both Appropriations Chairmen have worked with leadership. Uh, to curb spending as much as possible, uh, even in the times that of this mass inflation that we've seen throughout our government, um, we've kept our our budget um, within two to three, maybe four percent higher. Uh, when we know that those actual real dollar costs are are going up significantly for the cost of doing business throughout agencies, so that's just another another testament to the strong fiscal record that we've that we told voters that we were that we were going to uphold we've done it we have a strong track record of it and the surplus uh, that we show at the at the end of each fiscal year is just an example of that and that provide that gives us the opportunity to provide the tax cuts where we give the money back to the people uh, that are that are actually earning it and at the same time we are taking care of government we just had increased teacher pay raise by the most in our state's history uh, that's a testament to what we're trying to do and again the commitment that the governor's made with workforce development that's just the very beginning of it k through 12 but that's that goes all the way through the community college board through what accelerate mississippi is doing uh, then it comes right back to the career coaches you can just go down the list and you can see the efforts that have been made by this administration and by this leadership team to make sure that Mississippi is competitive in a global marketplace. And we do have the workforce here to do it for those who that are wanting to take advantage of the, of the opportunities that are here. 
we, we, we need to continue that. And that's something that um, is very, very important. Uh, you know, we really haven't even touched, touched on the other important things like the judicial appointments or what happens with uh, in, a, in a situation where one of the senators has to leave office for one reason or another. These are all things that will affect Mississippi and could affect our country as a whole. And I would just wish and I hope that there is that drive, that is there is that momentum uh, to get out and vote on Tuesday. Um, I, I really I'm, I'm kind of shocked that the far right kind of disappeared after the primaries. And I really wish that they would get engaged because we actually do have a liberal Democrat on the ticket right now that's trying to take over our state and has a, been able to use out, tens of millions of out-of-state dollars to push a narrative uh, that is not Mississippi's narrative, that is not Mississippi's goals, and that's not for Mississippi voters. And uh, we certainly need everyone to come out and force on Tuesday and vote for Tate Reeves. Senator, appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk some more. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You got it. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Michael Jackson, Thriller. What was that, 1982, three, something like that? Man, they sold a bunch of that one. Fun music. Came out after Halloween in 1982, in November of 1982. There you go. That was rather uh, timely for this next story I'm going to share. The University of Washington School of Medicine is forced out of a position of leadership. Highly decorated virologist Julie Overbaugh, due to accusations of racism and investigations involving her decision, are you ready for this now? Brace yourself. Wore a Michael Jackson costume to a Halloween party in 2009. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> a picture of the 13, <laughs> of the uh, actually 14-year-old incident in which she is accused of wearing blackface has prompted peers to accuse her of racism despite the fact that her research is focused on aiding Africans for the last three decades. You can't make it up. You cannot make it up. <laughs> this lady has spent her entire research career studying 
pathogens that cause HIV, which, of course, as we know, originated in Africa, right? And you need to know a little bit about that. She, she has been the recipient of the Nature Award for Mentoring in Science and other awards. She was elected to the National Academy of Sciences. But the university, because of this incident, has concluded that she's a racist based on wearing a Michael Jackson costume. Like I said, you can't have fun. It's unbelievable. Fun they didn't even try to argue, oh, it was in poor taste because that's the same year Michael Jackson passed away, and he passed away before Halloween, so you were wearing a man's dead face for a Halloween costume. No, it's just straight to racist! Oh, You're racist! <laughs> uh, they said, her accomplishments during an age in which female STEM recruitment and retainment is a social justice priority, which it is, and here's a lady who rises to that level. That, unfortunately, could not outweigh the 2009 incident in which Ms. Overbaugh emulated the king of pop at a party. <laughs> and it was, of course, based on the Thriller album. It's, it's recognition for it. It's reverence of it. It's incredible. I haven't seen the picture, but I imagine if she'd have worn the zombie outfit without the red jacket, it'd have been okay? I guess. I don't know. So the center, this is a cancer center, by the way, that she works at. This is what they said, quote, The act depicted in the photo is racist, offensive, and hurtful because you're in a Michael Jackson costume? And we offer our sincere apologies to anyone who has experienced pain, 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 or upset because of the act or this photo. Now, what do you want to bet? These are the same people that are out in the streets supporting Hamas. Never mind the pain of the babies whose head they removed intentionally. That's just so upside down. Unbelievable. Forget about this lady's brilliance and contributions to society. And she herself may be a left-wing loon for all I know. I don't care. Her work is of value to society. For her to be forced to resign because she dressed in a Michael Jackson costume? It's just, it's incredulous. I, like, I'm in shock. I can't believe it. So the um, high-level administrators at the um, University of Washington Medical School said that the entire UW medicine community was harmed by the 13-year-old photo. The entire community was harmed? Are and you, you didn't have a much of a backbone to begin with. A 13-year-old picture of a Halloween party harmed the entire community. <laughs> Listen to this. Oh Those my. folks must have skin of tissue paper. <laughs> oh, wait. Here you go. We are convening a series of affinity group meetings in the next 
few weeks to provide spaces for mutual support, reflection, and response to a photo of a person in a Michael Jackson costume. That's just bizarre to me. <laughs> they it went shows up. how deeply unserious these people really are. <laughs> now, does anybody care? Besides, they said they got one complaint. It's probably somebody that's jealous of this lady. The, seriously, that, that wants something she's got. What do you want to bet? Oh, I'll get her. I'll report her for wearing a Michael Jackson costume. Oh, my gosh. I wish this were an isolated incident, but you know this is happening across the country. And in the epicenter are these college campuses. No doubt about it. And these are our future leaders, our future scientists and physicians, political leaders, entrepreneurs, business executives. I will say this. It's Morgan Stanley just had a change. This was on Bloomberg television. They just had a change in the CEO. And this interview was conducted by a Bloomberg correspondent of the outgoing CEO in the incoming. And asked both of them the same question about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how that looked like that their executive ranks needed some more diversity. And the outgoing CEO said, well, yeah, you know, we're grooming so forth and so on, and we're working on this. We've got this program and that program, and, and with the idea of, of promoting uh, into the ranks of uh, the executive level uh, a, a, a more diverse employee set. And the incoming CEO said to this, we promote on merit. That's all he said. And I'm like, I'm like dancing around the room when I heard that. Like, thank you. Somebody finally gets it and did not apologize for it and was swift. Didn't beat around the bush. We promote on merit. <laughs> like, and the, the correspondent, the interviewer, shocked, stunned, couldn't believe it. I'm fist pumping. Yes, somebody finally speaks the truth. And you know, the other CEO was just dancing around it. Well, we're doing this, that, and the other, and grooming this. And we hope to these people that can work through our many programs so that we'll achieve more diversity at the exact, all that rhetoric crap. Nothing about, no, we believe we ought to have the best people in the job. We don't really care what they look like. And, but this new CEO, I was shocked, pleasantly surprised. That's what I want to hear. That is the path to prosperity for all. Never is it promoting, hiring, compensating, recognizing solely on the basis of physical attributes. That is a recipe for disaster. And it has its roots in Marxism. It does. And it's that crap right there, I believe, is what has induced these pro-Hamas, anti-Jew, anti-Israel demonstrations. And you 
the story I shared earlier about the disruption, it was an appropriations meeting. It was featured on our news, I think from Fox News uh, at the break. I heard it, and they actually had the sound of the protesters. And they're mad because they're not denouncing Israel and demanding a ceasefire. While they're trying to testify to the Senate about our military and our defense needs and possible risks. Once again, you don't get to play the victim when you start a war that you wind up losing. Very true. We are taking a break right here. When we come back, we'll dig into some of the state of politics, having interviewed and spoken to Senator Scott Delano this morning and lots of text about that interview on the ceasefire text line. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well studio. with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster from his slab began to rise and suddenly to my surprise, he did the match. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard. It's a staple smash. on Halloween, isn't it? It caught on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. Oh. From my laboratory in the castle east oh. to the monster bedroom. <laughs> and whoever digitized that one, that was a well-worn vinyl. <laughs> That's true. Okay. We are back in the Element Well studio. Tony from Lawrence County says Tate Reeves hurt himself going against the majority of the people that voted to keep our state flag. He should have stopped Gunn from pushing it. Well, a couple of comments about that. Um, First, many years had passed since that uh, referendum where most did vote, in fact, to retain the state flag, which really was just more of a question to inform the legislature than it was making any sort of statute or amending the Constitution. It was just a question so the legislature would have an idea. They're the ones who referred it to the ballot for the people to vote on. Um, I think that attitudes changed dramatically over that period of time, and I firmly believe that had a measure gone to the ballot for the people to vote on, uh, opting and voting to either keep the old flag or support a replacement, I believe the replacement would have won considerably. That's just my opinion. So... I mean, once somebody votes for something and expresses their opinion, it's not permanent. That that's that doesn't reflect permanent sentiment. That'd be like saying, well, once we vote for someone to serve in public office, they're in for life. We don't do that because people change their minds. Sentiments change. Attitudes change. I believe that's the case there. The second thing I wanted to share, and I've hesitated to do this, but I think it's appropriate. I have... Um, I've revealed that I have served on the board of the Madison County Economic Development Authority now 
um, I have to think about it, year five. I'm into year five now. I'm honored to have been appointed uh, by my supervisor to serve. That's the way it works in Madison County. And I've seen lots of economic development projects come and go. Some we won, some we didn't. But I can share this at a very high level that there's a project that is being considered that is quite large. And it will benefit all of Mississippi, should we be fortunate to bring it home. And this is something that has been, honestly, worked on for years. The, uh, there's not going to be any official announcement before the election next week. It's not possible. But I can say with full confidence that if we still had the old flag, this deal wouldn't come to fruition. I'm convinced of that. Totally. You can't change my mind on it. And that in itself, I can assure you, if this deal comes through, will have made it worth it. There's no doubt about it. And I would encourage folks to de-emphasize that issue when they're thinking about who they vote for for governor. Do you think Brandon Presley supports the old flag? What about the people that have contributed mightily to his campaign? The answer is no. So I hope folks don't allow that to be the single issue, though I have heard some say that. Rhino, I'm sure you have too. I think, however, that's a minority of people. But I hope they don't let that interfere with making what is just a prudent choice for the state's future. I I get it, you know, why they're aggrieved about it. But, man, if you're looking for purity, don't vote, because you won't find anybody that absolutely 100% meets your standards. Nobody will. Nobody does for me. I, I just dare say nobody will. But think overall about the big picture here. Anybody out there that's been involved in in business and certainly sat in the business owner's chair certainly knows that. You've got to think about the big picture, man. Don't keep scorecards. I understand some things may just be over the top and you just can't see past it. I, I certainly understand that and appreciate it. But I would encourage you to think about the big picture here and the the benefits to our state by reelecting the governor in my view and not someone who will be beholden to his donors who seek to transform Mississippi into a socialist wasteland in my view and I know that Mr. Presley has made statements about his positions on various social matters, such as abortion and sex change surgery on minors, etc., seems to align more with the right on that. My concern is that those people who are donating to his campaign don't align in that fashion. And they will 
expect that he will come around to their views. And I tell you why I think that's a legitimate concern is that, Rhino, you've seen this, Mr. Presley has absolutely lambasted the governor about returning favors to his donors, right? You've seen that. It, but none of them really add up. I mean, they're, they're, they're illogical and don't really amount to anything. They're just trying so desperately to make something out of that. But you don't think that Mr. Presley is going to be beholden to his donors who have showered millions on him? Well, then you're naive and don't understand the political process and the political environment. Have we not heard that complaint, Rhino, about Kevin McCarthy? He's tied into K Street. He takes orders from them. Big donors. Right? You hear that all the time. I would encourage you to look at Mr. Presley's list of donors. You don't think they expect something in return? They're just good folks. I just want to see Brandon win. No. They're looking for advancement of an agenda. That's why they're pouring money into it. And that's the exact assertion that the Democrats and he he make about Tate's donors, which is, doesn't add up. I've seen assertions that there are certain businesses in the state that have donated to the governor, and of course they also have contracts for various services with the state. Well, that's perfectly legal, first of all, that a business can donate uh, to, or an individual can donate to a candidate, but you can't just draw the conclusion that, oh yeah, look here, they gave money and they got a contract. You can't, you can't assume that, especially if those contracts were awarded through competitive bidding. If that's the case, then the agencies that awarded him, they're at fault. I just don't think the governor, and, and I've got extensive experience in dealing with government procurement and contracting, including in the state of Mississippi, to virtually every agency, countless school districts, every university, community college, through the years. I've never known the governor or any politician, honestly, to ever interdict into the procurement process and say, hey, look, I want you to make sure you you draft that request for proposal or those specifications so that only my donor can win it. I've never seen anything like that. And I won a ton. My company did. I gave zero. Never had a lobbyist. Never even went to the Capitol. Didn't have any reason to. Just leave me alone. I got it. That That happens. But, man, when you try to draw these conclusions and connect the dots like that without any evidence whatsoever, I question your integrity. That's 100% political motivated, of course. And I understand the goal is to win, and unfortunately you go out there and spout this nonsense, and some people accept it at face value. And I, I just I disagree with that approach. But I, I say again, it is totally naive to think that all these people dumping this money 
that don't have any interest in the state of Mississippi. They don't, they're not from here. They don't work here. They don't have businesses here. They're just looking to advance an agenda, is what they're looking to do, that empowers them more than anything. And that's what they're going to expect in return for their financial contributions. We're stepping aside for a break. Final segment in hour two of middays after the break. And then hour three is up. Stay with us. We're coming right back. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's ride. We are back in the Element Well studio. On the ceasefire text line, I want Robert Gray on the ballot again. Tell him who that was, uh, Rhino. Uh, that was the truck driver that shocked the world of Mississippi politics when he won the Democrat primary. I believe he was the Democrat opponent for Phil Bryant's last term of governor. Yeah, sounds right. He got a, a few votes in the general. Yeah, his own mom didn't know he was running for governor. <laughs> Talk about a rather obscure campaign. On the ceasefire tax line, wasn't the flag issue veto-proof due to the votes in both chambers? Talking about the bill passed by the legislature, <clears throat> excuse me, to change the flag and place a measure on the ballot allowing the citizens to select a particular design. That after a commission was formed. Well, the commission picked the design. It was an up-down vote by the population. Yeah, that's what I was going you know, to say. The commission was responsible for considering a number of designs that were submitted, and the commission was appointed, as I recall, by the governor, lieutenant governor, and speaker. I don't remember who had how many. may have been even. And, and they convened and considered a number of designs. They picked one, and right, and stuck that on the ballot. Is that that's right? correct. Yeah, that's the way I recall it. That was in the 2020 election. Is that right? Does that sound right to you? I, I want to say that <clears throat> that jogs my memory because I think Secretary of State Michael Watson shared... Yeah, because it was adopted January 2021. Yeah, shared that Moore cast a vote on their ballot for the flag than for president, meaning some people left the president blank did not select a candidate for president, did not vote for one, but did vote for uh, the flag on the ballot. He could have vetoed the bill, talking about the governor, but he would have been overridden and given more racist fodder for liberals. Probably true. The people voted to keep our original flag, says Tony from Lawrence. Tony, you must not have heard, I guess, our discussion in the last segment. I know. But, like, how long back should we go? What if the people voted for a flag 100 years ago? Should that still stand today? And would you say, well, hey, the people voted to keep it, so we should have never changed it? 
When did that occur, right? Oh, like 2001 or something, is that, as I recall? Is that when <clears throat> there was a measure on the ballot allowing the people to... Yeah, the referendum. Yeah, the referendum itself, which doesn't... Um, it's not actionable. Yeah, it had about as much legally binding weight to it as a magazine poll. Yeah, but that was years prior, is the point. So, do you not believe, Tony, that attitudes change? Demographics change? People change? Sure they do. Like I said, if that's not the case, then we should just call it a day. Once we vote for somebody for office, they just stay in there for life. Same deal. People change. Bob and Starville says, 100% right, Gerard. BP, talking about Brandon Presley, is bought and paid for by the left-wing, liberal, progressive, thrashing machine. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. If he was in favor of changing the flag, I'd be 100% in favor. But we were never given the opportunity, says Curtis and Biloxi. But, Curtis, you're, you're not guaranteed such an opportunity. That power rests with the legislature. It's, it, there's no nothing in our Constitution that says, hey, the people decide what our flag is. Let's see. Uh, somebody else. Dwight says, Gerard, I respect your opinion, but until you have specific examples of what you're hearing on donors holding Presley to what they believe, I believe you're just using that as a scare tactic to your listeners. Really? Well... Okay, Dwight, I don't have specific examples because I'm not privy to the discussions between the Presley campaign or Mr. Presley himself and those who are donating to his, his efforts to, to win the race for governor. I'm not privy to those. Uh, but what I can say is it would be awfully unusual, it would be an anomaly if someone donated that much money. We're not talking about a $25 check here, where you're likely not expecting anything in return. We're talking millions. Now, you could argue, Dwight, oh, it's just because they're charitable. They're altruistic. They just really care. I say that's horse hockey. So my opinion is based on past experience. If that's not the case, perhaps you can enlighten us. Why are they contributing such huge sums of, uh, sums of money to Mr. Presley's campaign? Why do you think they are? There's good guys in love, Brandon? Seriously? But it's okay for Brandon to allege that that's exactly what the governor's doing. Like somehow he's just superior. We're coming right back. Stay with us. And now, and now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Summer day, 
Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We are live in the Element Wealth Studio, and we appreciate you being with us today. You know the half the people you talk to are of below average intelligence, right, says Penny and Winona. No, I don't think that, Penny. I think Mississippians are smart people, and I think the folks that tune into the show are smart people, and we may disagree on matters, and that's perfectly fine. That's what the show's all about. It's having a conversation. All we ask is that uh, we keep it civil, and uh, we will reciprocate. Simple as that. Now, Rhino knows sometimes we don't share stuff that we get that gets a little uncivil. And that's fine. People are just like that. Everybody, I guess, likes to get their pound of flesh. Well, those people also tend to get upset when we give just as good as we get it, even right. if we don't give on the air. Right. Exactly. Uh, Gerard, does your comment that people change opinions over the years also apply to the U.S. Constitution? Well, I'm not exactly sure what the meaning of that question is, but, yeah, there are a lot of people in this country that seek to amend the U.S. Constitution. I was about to say, isn't that why there's an amendment <laughs> process? Yeah. That's what it's for. So It's a rather lengthy and difficult process to get enacted, but it's still there. Yeah. Exactly. We, we do have a mechanism to do so. But I, I don't... I hardly think, however, that the situation with the flag and, and my assertion that attitudes change rather dramatically during the period between the, uh, the referendum, which Rhino pointed out, uh, was not legally binding. It did not require action on the part of the legislature. It was just for informational purposes, honestly. Um, and, and that turnout of that vote, no, I don't, I don't think that that was constant. And I do think that, again, opinions and attitudes change dramatically on that, and that if the same question were put on the ballot to the people in Mississippi again, I happen to think that uh, the outcome would reverse. That's just what I think. It's just crazy to me that we're placing that, and I, I guess I'm going to stop talking about it because I'm, I'm adding to that intensity, that we're just placing that at the top of issues when voting for a governor. That's just that's mind-boggling to me when I consider the, the multitude of problems we truly do face as a state. I'm tired of being the lowest in per capita and household income. That's what I'm tired of. That's the way I still believe. Not I still believe, I've always believed. And we'll continue, and I don't see ever changing my attitude and opinion on this, that the path to the pursuit of happiness is through economic growth. Like it or not, that's just the, the key to solving all our most pressing issues, is to grow our economy and to grow the incomes of our people. That's where it starts. You want better schools? That's where it starts. Want to keep people at home that we're graduating, these fantastic graduates coming out of our universities? That's where it starts. Want better roads and bridges? That's where it starts. Want safer streets? 
want to rein in the out-of-control cost of health care? All of it starts there. No doubt about it. Always has been. That's why this country's so great. Because the founders conceived of a nation where government got the hell out of the way and let individuals in private interest pursue their dreams. Says so in the Declaration of Independence. And in doing so, they created value for society. And we're all better for it. That's why millions are coming across the border. Because they can't do that in other countries. Despite all our flaws, that's still available. I got asked a question a few days ago. Do you think it's easier or harder to achieve significant wealth? I think the term that was used by the person who asked me the question was to become a millionaire. I think it's orders of magnitude easier. There's so many more opportunities, so many more routes to market, so many more tools to enable and empower wealth. I mean, just look at the availability of information. Unbelievable. And that's the key. Now, if you're too lazy to leverage it, ain't my problem. And this is why we'll continue to have an income gap, because those people who are willing to put forth the effort and the sacrifice to gain knowledge and leverage that to produce value that people are willing to part their money for, they're going to continue to achieve wealth. And everybody else that says, I just want to sit back and not worry about that, well, then you're going to get left behind. The opportunity is there. Get off your butt and leverage it. Simple as that. And that's the message I hope we're delivering to our young people. I fear it's not. It's more of a, oh, no, you're entitled to that. And you don't have time for that to wait to achieve wealth. That's delayed gratification. Why? That's that's racist. It's what's being taught. It's like they believe success is somehow a right. That's exactly right. It's the incumbency crap I keep talking about. It's why you can be at these schools that cost a hundred grand a year and just blow off class and go protest Israel. That's despicable, in my view. Now you got Students across these schools that are of the Jewish faith that are saying, I don't feel safe here anymore. That shouldn't happen in this country. And I say again, if these were people of color expressing those concerns, oh my gosh, the sky would fall. There's no telling what the response would be from government. But because it's white Jewish people, mm, it's okay. Seems to me like it. I would say their response is very tacit at best. So the flag issue is the old strain and gnat to swallow a camel on the ceasefire tax line. What do you call it, Rhino? The magic sky cloth? Yeah. <laughs> Andy says, your word matters. Honesty matters. Reeves was dishonest about the whole process. At least it matters to some of us. Well, all I can say, Andy, is so on that basis, are you going to vote for Mr. Presley? Does that not matter? Does the future of the state matter? We're focused too much on, in my view, on the past and trying to somehow draw some conclusion about the future on that. And I'm not saying that's 
unreasonable. I think that's consistent generally with human nature. Also the reason that I guess I responded to Dwight that it's human nature. When you dump millions into a campaign in a state that you have no interest in, you're expecting something in return. And what did he say in response to that? <laughs> Rhino, I'm looking for it. When I asked, well, what do you think they're making these sizable contributions for? He said because they see it as an opportunity to, to defeat one of the most unpopular governors in the country. And see, that and a nickel gets you a cup of coffee, as the old saying goes. So it's about popularity? One of the most unpopular? Well, by whose account? Unpopular in what way? What, why does that matter? I, I'm worried about policy, guys. I, I'm worried about steering the state in the right direction. And that, again, I say, is uh, should primarily be focused on economic opportunity and economic expansion. Economic development. And look at look at Presley. Have you heard him say a word about that? No, it's all, we need to raise the minimum wage. We need to expand Medicaid. That's all I've heard. Have a doctor at the head of Medicaid and a law enforcement officer at the head of the Highway Patrol, Department of Public Safety. That's pretty much what I've heard. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut car tags and I'm gonna cut grocery tax, which guarantees you'll never get the income tax ridded. So, and look, the governor said, send me a bill to cut the grocery tax. He's never going to back down from signing a bill that would cut taxes. But again, I, I argue that while that would have some value, certainly, making just the cost of groceries cost less, it's not really going to spur economic development the way cutting that income tax would be. So I'm thinking more long-term, not short-term. I'm thinking about future generations not existing. I, I think you have to think about all. So what's the best approach? Got to have some money to operate the government. Conservatives believe that taxing income is unproductive and taxing consumption is the better approach to raising revenue. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Seventy-five percent of the people in this country support the auto workers. Nineteen percent support the auto makers. They're going to put them out of business, uh, and they don't seem to care, as far as I can tell. And the, and these are generally people who just, uh, unfortunately, the left in this country, and uh, to a great extent, many who, in school, especially on college campuses, they they've just been brainwashed. And to just believe in that uh, corporations, employers, are just evil, wicked. It's, it's scary. 
in my view. And always taking the side of the laborers. And look, I'm for markets sorting that out. And they have the right to strike and organize. I support that. And they negotiated and they won. 67% of Americans now, according to a recent Gallup poll, approve of labor unions. Well, that's because so much of our population lives in these states where labor unions thrive and are robust. I wonder how Mr. Presley feels about labor unions. Might he try to repeal the right-to-work laws in place in Mississippi and at-will employment? Mississippi's a pretty good place for an employer. I can speak from experience on that. doesn't mean that employees get abused. I don't know anybody, and, and uh, especially in a super tight labor market, I don't know any employers that are able to just do whatever the heck they want and take advantage of and abuse laborers, workers. I, I consider that just a ruse. That's just people that have not really been involved in that to any degree. I'm sure there are isolated cases here and there, but there are also lots of situations Rhino, where workers, I fortunately didn't, don't know of any that worked in my company, but there are workers, too, that abuse their privileges as workers. You know that, that slough off, earn pay, don't really produce, but they're virtually unfireable, and they know that. See, it works both ways. You think, think no further than Insurance, across the scope of insurance, whether it's health insurance or general liability insurance, umbrella coverage, E&O coverage, just go down the list of all the various forms of insurance. Man, if people were just more responsible, it'd cost us all less. Lots of abuse there. Lots and lots and lots. And we all pay for that. Insurance companies got to pass it on to somebody. I'm generalizing a bit, but there are enough examples of abuse there. So Greg and Newton, he has a comment as well about the flag. I I just find that to be misguided at this point, honestly, and not really moving the needle. Again, I'm worried about per capita income, household income. I'm worried about uh, economic development, opportunity for graduates coming out of our great universities, not the flag. I see that as so secondary. It's just unbelievable. And maybe folks are happy, you know, being on the bottom of the list in some of those metrics. I'm not. I can assure you that those graduating from our colleges, they see it and they leave. How are we ever going to improve the quality of life in our state which should be the goal of everybody who gets elected and is in a position of power in government, and I believe it is. They, we have different ideas about how to get there. I, I understand that. I happen to believe that the path to improve quality of life, standards of living, economic growth. I steadfastly believe that, and I want people in positions 
in government that understand that, appreciate that, and govern accordingly. Simple as that. This, uh, this big project we're working on in Madison, some of the feedback has been nothing but incredibly positive about working with our state in this endeavor and have actually stated, gosh, I wish some of the other states were as good to work with as you guys are on this. That's the kind of stuff you want to hear. That's what I want to continue. That's what bothers me about somebody like a Mr. Presley who's more beholden to people who hate business, honestly, who hate corporations, who hate profit. Now, you can say he's never said that. Okay, fine. But he's taking money from people who think that way. There's no doubt. They do. McDonald's in California, by the way, just said they don't know that they can survive the new, what is it, $20, $25 minimum wage? I mean, you're going to have burger flippers making fifty grand a year. And that's just their salary. You've got to add on to that all the other costs of maintaining an employee outside, over and above, just their, their base pay. You've seen that. Now we've got the Democrat Party in Mississippi wanting to increase the minimum wage. That just released today. Medicaid expansion is probably the number one issue, the most resounding issue that we're facing, according to chair of the Democrat Party. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Rhino. C-H-E-I-K-H? Is it Cheek? I think so. Taylor, chairman of uh, the, the Democrat Party, and also says... Minimum wage is seven twenty-five. That's the federal minimum wage in Mississippi. Mississippi leadership. This tribe. Uh, let's see. Minimum wage is seven twenty-five in the state. M- Mississippi. Mississippi leadership. This trifecta with our Republican governor, Republican lieutenant governor, and our Republican speaker of the House is saying that that makes you lower middle class. It actually puts you in a tax bracket that you actually probably pay more taxes than your boss. That's total horse hockey. Let's have a debate about that, Chairman. Let's have a debate about ta- the tax code. Come on, you and me. Civil, respectful, we're going to debate the facts. That's just wrong. That is incorrect. That is the picture that the left paints, Rhino, over and over and over again. I'm so sick of it. The damn president says it all the time. It's just not fair that millionaires pay a lower, lower rate than a fireman. The top 1%, according to the U.S. Department of Treasury, paid $780 billion of taxes last year. The top 1%. The bottom 50% paid almost half of that at about $430 billion. They focus on the rate, not the dollars. And that's because many in the higher incomes in this country have capital gains income and they pay capital gains taxes. But the left, and I can assure you Brandon Presley feels that way, they want to tax capital gains as ordinary income. That would be destructive, devastating to the economy. But they could take victory laps and say, I got them dirty, greedy, rich people. You know, the people that create all the jobs, produce all the wealth that we all benefit from. That's just wrong. That is not right. 
So you know not only people are overworked, underpaid, but at 725, you are denied basic services. You can't go home and take care of your children. You're probably working two jobs to this, and you wonder why our communities are actually being actually being are actually imploding every day. That's a that's a misformed sentence there. So we have to be aggressive in making sure that we're paying some of the hardest working folks in America a living wage. So sick of that. Working hard doesn't earn you money. Providing value does. A lot of people work hard. And and who's the arbiter of what's working hard? Who calls balls and strikes on what working hard is? You could go out and dig a ditch all day and fill it back up and dig it again. That's working hard, I would argue. But nobody wants to pay you to do that. And that's why my focus is on how do we grow our economy, and provide greater opportunity. That ought to be the goal, not just to force businesses. You're going to pay these people more. And then what they do is start shedding people. And then they're on the unemployment rolls. That just doesn't make any sense. But it's clearly not true. And it's just, it's just in fact, untrue that... Uh, uh, these people <laughs> pay more in taxes than those at the higher end of the income spectrum. That's just factually inaccurate at a minimum. All right, the Adams Family theme, pretty cool there on this Halloween. We're coming right back with half an hour in the Element Well studio. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge. 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 News. Huge. 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 The old tubular bells. What was that the Exorcist, I believe? Yeah. With the Exorcist standing under the streetlight. <laughs> yep. That's right. That's when they play the, the music there, huh? Tim and McGee says, all I know is work since the age of six. I'm on salary, but I work 10 to 12 hours a day when I'm paid for eight. But I do it because I take care of others. I even work on my vacation because some of my extra pay. I don't like lazy. I, I hear you, Tim, and I respect and appreciate that. Unfortunately, there are a lot in this country who have been brainwashed into thinking that uh, they're owed everything from the world and that they simply don't have to uh, work the way you do and sacrifice and be diligent in their efforts to produce, that's a problem. You see it, especially, again, in these college campuses. Unbelievable. 
When did it become a morality crime to build wealth in this country? Was it the banking crisis in the Obama administration? It seems like it, it uh, did really start taking hold. That's on the ceasefire tax line. During the Obama administration, <clears throat> I would agree. It's, uh, it shouldn't be. It absolutely shouldn't be. And I, and I believe that if you start putting limitations, you've heard Bernie Sanders and others say, many others, shouldn't be any billionaires in the country and that kind of nonsense. In my opinion, you start limiting, if the government, because that's the only way you could, you'd have to enact laws to limit it. That would come from government, emanate from government. If the government steps in and starts limiting, it's just a matter of time. They're going to get down to you, start limiting you. You limit one, you might as well limit all. That's a problem. And who's to decide what that limitation should be? You know, it went from millionaires, now it's billionaires. How many billion? Just you, one billion? Several billion? How's that hurting you? I submit it's helping you. Whatever it is those people produce for society that earned them that sort of wealth, we all benefited from. And we should respect and, and recognize the fact that we're unique in this country as a, as a result of these lack of limitations. And what they want to do is just confiscate it through taxes. And do what with it? Shove it out the door on stupid programs? Oh, that's really worked out great, hasn't it? DJ in Summit says, well, I hope Mississippi voters do not follow the last national election. Voters pick personality over policy. Kirk from Columbus, it's tenured for a college professor. The root cause, it's tenure, I think he meant to say, root cause for a lot of this ideology. Then we have going on in college, that we have going on in college, pardon me. What do you think? Absolutely, Kirk, I oppose tenure. And uh, I, I think that employment at the college level as an instructor, and it, and it, you know, Rhino, the original premise for tenure was to ensure that professors could engage in academic freedom and openly express their views. Why we have to protect their job with tenure is beyond me. Can't you just do the right thing? If you're in administration at the college, if a professor expresses their viewpoints, even though you may not agree with those, you should be fired over that. Now, of course, there should be moral turpitude clauses in these contracts. That's fairly common. You can't go out and be crazy wacko like the professor at uh, Cornell who said that the Hamas attacks were exhilarating. He was relieved of employment, I think maybe temporarily suspended. I mean, there again, there are just common sense, common, common sense policies that you would employ in the private sector. The, the professor we talked about earlier. The problem is common sense is not so common, and it's all but extinct on the left. That's sad. I, I hear you and agree with you to a great extent, but do we have to guarantee employment? just to ensure that someone is protected, their free speech is protected. Now, again, when their free speech somehow becomes so hostile, like describing beheading of children as exhilarating, 
yeah, I'd say we got a problem there, but you shouldn't be protected with tenure. There are other ways to work around that. You should have to earn your position constantly. All of us should. That's just what a free market does. So I, I generally oppose just guaranteed, no matter what, virtually, you're guaranteed your position. I don't, um, I don't support that. That I get the reason for it, but I, I think it's kind of outlasted its purpose. And I don't know that we need that anymore. Why is everybody complaining about the damn flag? <laughs> Says Jerry and Boom. Well, just fly it at your house then. People will not be able to afford a new vehicle, says Keith and Vaden. Yeah, it's headed that way, especially with these unions that are that are um, succeeding in securing much, much higher pay and benefits. And the car makers are saying, yeah, between that, so you got you got the labor force that they rely on to build their product that's squeezing the heck out of them. And on top of that, you got the government saying, you're going to build these vehicles that nobody wants to buy. And I don't care how much they cost you. You're going to do it, dang it. And now they're all saying, we're losing our shirt, building these electric vehicles at this rate, at this time, when they're not ready for prime time. Because the buyers are walking past them on the lots. That's what they're finding out. And this is government, again, intruding in the private sector. This is beyond just common sense regulations to protect against polluting the environment, which, by the way, this country has done far more than any other country along those lines with the various CAFE standards and unbelievable innovation in the production of electric vehicles, uh, pardon me, of fossil fuels based vehicles. Unbelievable improvements there. We've all benefited from, no doubt. Wasn't there a professor at Ole Miss that went around telling people to spit in Republicans' food and he got tenure? I'm asking. I'm not sure it happened, Keith and Baden. There was J.T. Thomas. Um, that's absolutely true. I don't think he said spit in their food. I, he said disrupt fingers. Put your fingers in it. Yeah, that's what I recall. If Presley is so darn poor, how did he go to college on the ceasefire tax line? That's a reasonable statement. I am sick of Presley saying how poor he grew up. We all ate peanut butter and crackers at some point in our lives. Poor mouthing won't get my boat, Tommy. He seems to be really dwelling on that, focusing on that, to, to project himself as uh, someone who grew up poor. I have no idea what that has to do with being qualified to serve as governor. Honestly, as, as I said, I, I, I tend to have... I guess more respect for people who, who uh, in, at least in the private sector, they they grew up poor and figured their way out of it. I was uh, so impressed with Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, who was uh, at Ole Miss Friday. I attended that event. Professor Stephen Scultetti hosted it, and he served as uh, as the moderator. He led the discussion with Senator Scott. And Senator Scott talked from the heart about his his uh, story growing up, his mother, and uh, raising two black sons, he and his brother, and how she refused to accept 
the left's narrative that, oh, you're just a black person in this country, you have no chance of success. He refused to, she refused to accept that, and he said she worked long hours and was a person of faith and instilled that and those values in her sons. And, she, and he described that as a risk she took. I thought that was a great way to relate that to business risk. She was willing to risk that working hard and maintaining her faith would ultimately pay off for her sons. She was right. And then he, he likes to joke. And so this is, you know, the self-deprecating humor we talked about yesterday right now because somebody got bent out of shape with you and I imitating the voice of Mr. Presley. You know what Tim Scott would say a few times? Tongue-in-cheek, laughing about it in a self-deprecating way. Hey, in case you hadn't noticed, I'm a black dude. He would say that. He's done that before because he doesn't take it serious. It, the laugh, you know, oh, what do you mean? What are you saying that for? You've, you're oppressed, don't you know? You can't succeed. And he's basically saying, no, you can't because of this great country. Bravo to the senator. His stock went up quite a bit with me in that sort of setting, one-on-one with uh, Professor Scultetti. He did a fantastic job, much better performance than when you get on the dumb debates or some of these scripted interviews. We're stepping aside and coming right back for the final segment on Halloween and Middays. Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. said something on the break about when Mr. Presley was born. Oh yeah, I mean he talks about his his impoverished upbringing and how tough it was growing up and I just pointed out that he was born in the 70s and by the time the 70s rolled around Mississippi had been under Democrat control for over 100 years. Yeah. He was true. born and raised in a Democrat Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, Sagan Oxford says, also, where are the Christians at right now? We are a country of Christians. Unfortunately, unfortunately, they are all silent currently. Blacks, whites alike. Latinos all need to put divisions aside and stand behind Israel. One day we will turn our backs on Israel, and that will be that. Well, uh, I haven't seen the latest statistics on that. Certainly, I concur that the nation's founding was based on the principles of uh, Judeo-Christian views and uh, and doctrine. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the Declaration of Independence states it right that we that our, our rights come from our Creator. That's that's what that is referring to. 
So I agree, no doubt about that. But there, there's also true that uh, religion and and uh, faith in general uh, being practiced regularly by American citizens is on the decline, fairly substantially, <clears throat> and that's uh, it's a concern. Seems to have been, I think, swept out of much of our society, much of our culture. Some of that comes from from government. There's a lot of anti-Christian, anti-religious sentiment. I think that's absolutely true, and, and we've seen that. But they will tell you that there's no such thing as a war on Christianity. I. I take exception to that. I believe that there has been a concerted effort to rid the country in, in many situations with any kind of semblance and references, uh, both symbolically and otherwise, to the Christian, the various Christians' faiths. I, I do think that's a problem. Thomas and Greenwood says, we ought to just admit, based on uh, this argument about Medicaid expansion, that uh, we're not a conservative state, we're just a socialist state. And I just pointed out that, well, we participate in Social Security and Medicare. Do you want to tell people that, I'm sorry, that's socialism, you just have to do without? We're going to refuse that. Same with base Medicaid. It sends about $6 billion a year our way from the federal government. We, of course, get lots of subsidies for farming, high-speed Internet, I guess you could say all that socialist roads and bridges, law enforcement. I think you got that wrong, Thomas. Your 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 definition of of socialism is is really not a widely accepted one. Now, if those in the healthcare field were employees of the government, I would, I would pretty much then define our health care system as, as socialist. That does exist in some other countries. In fact, some Western nations, Spain and Portugal are two that I'm familiar with. The health care workers work for the government. I believe to a great extent that's true in Britain under the NIH, right? I mean, you have options to, if you can afford it, if you're one of those who are lucky enough to afford it, you don't have to seek health care from the government system, which is government-run, socialized, if you will, and that the, um, the people who work in the health care industry are employees of the government. They are paid by the government. And if you break your arm and you show up to the ER, they're going to say, all right, we'll schedule you for an x-ray Yeah, in four weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck. Wear a sling. I would agree Social Security is socialism. How do you figure that? That's on the ceasefire text line. I, 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 explain that in the context. I know we're about out of here today. You can leave a text. Explain in the in the context of how socialism is defined, which is just a central body, that being government, that determines um, the, the volume and the means of production of goods and services and then allocates it. It's really not what Social Security is. It's just a it's a savings plan that's just flawed is what it is. It's a defined bet. I guess you could say that PERS is socialism. You want to tell that to all the PERS recipients? I'm sorry, we got to end PERS. That's socialism. 
Oh, yeah, that would get you a long way. <laughs> well, we're out of time here today, folks. Be safe and be careful and enjoy Halloween. If you participate, if you celebrate it, we're going to be back in the Element Well studio with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.